doubt that I will come back around to a right state of mind. Um, but if you've got your Bibles there, uh, we'll get into Galatians. We are in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading from verse 11 down to verse 21. <clears throat> and so I'm just going to read this for us this morning, and then we'll jump into it. So Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11, says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, now Cephas is Peter. Um, that's going to um, be important because I, I constantly call him Peter in, in my notes. So, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. When the rest of the Jews joined in his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even ourselves, we have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came, comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So, just it's been a couple weeks since we've been here in the book of Galatians. A quick recap of where we're up to. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia because there have been some false teachers in their midst. There have been some troublemakers who have been stirring up uh, the local church there and have been uh, sharing, uh, basically uh, confronting Paul's message, Paul's gospel, and um, basically saying Paul didn't really have it all together. Paul was maybe making things a little bit too easy for them. Uh, maybe it was just this easy... Uh, free grace message, but they, or maybe Paul didn't have the full message. You know, Paul came in and he was just a little bit misinformed. Actually, what they need is they need Jesus the Messiah and they need to be circumcised and they need to obey uh, the Jewish law and they functionally need to become Jewish in their practice in order to be uh, in right standing or, or, or be in a right relationship with God. After all, as the Jewish people, they had an entire history of God's revelation through the law. Um, and this was always the way in which people knew how to live faithfully for God. You follow God's law. This is how you live faithfully uh, to God, which includes circumcision and observing holy days and abstaining from certain foods and all these sorts of things. And so Paul is writing to uh, the Galatian church to correct these false teachers, to set the record straight, and to confront the lies that have been told, not only about him, but about his gospel that he preaches. 
And so up until this point, uh, Paul has been giving his testimony, a testimony about how he received the gospel that he received, how he was actually converted and commissioned as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I know that we've, we've covered uh, this account here with Peter uh, briefly before, but um, the reason why we're encountering it here again uh, this morning is because it's this encounter, it's this encounter that, that actually is the cause for Paul to begin unpacking, begin unpacking some theology around why he believes what he believes, unpacking some theology about the law and what it looks like to live by the law, <clears throat> what it looks like to actually be in Christ. And so that's where we're up to. That's where we're up to because um, so this, this, this story here where he confronts Peter is the premise for everything he's going to say in verses 15 through to 21. You see, Paul had had a significant shift in his life he, when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, it led to a significant change in who he was and how he behaved and how he actually lived out his life faithfully towards God. So before we jump right into it, there's a few key ideas that I think we need to recap first. Some ideas that are going to come up in the text that are going to be important for us to understand just so that we can keep tracking with what Paul is actually trying to say and that we don't just insert our own ideas into the text inadvertently. Uh, because we have, we have a lot of history of tradition and interpretation that we may feel like we understand uh, what Paul is saying, uh, but he may actually be saying something slightly different to what we may initially think. So there's a few key ideas. So the first key idea here is the Jew versus the Gentile sinner. This is what Paul will say in verse 15. He says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, what Paul means here, he's, it's a bit kind of tongue-in-cheek, what Paul means here is he's reminding us and reminding them of the categorical distinctions that the Jewish people had in their minds for, for a long time. We are the Jews. What that means is we are the ones who have received the covenant with God, with Yahweh. We are the ones who have received the oracles. We are the ones who have received the law and the prophets. We are the ones who are justified before God because of God's covenant with us. We are the ones who are righteous as opposed to everybody else. Now, he's not making, he's not making a, a claim that Jews are somehow sinless. We're going to jump into that in a second. But remember, Paul is dealing with this Jew and Gentile divide between being culturally Jewish as being a sign that you are right with God and everybody else who in that Jewish mindset mustn't be right with God and they are sinners and living in rebellion to God because they're not Jewish. Does that categoric distinction make sense? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. <clears throat> the second uh, key idea we want to remind ourselves of here this morning is the law and works of the law. Now, if we, if we come from a, uh, a Reformation perspective and a medieval perspective on, on what the law is and all these sorts of things, um, we may inadvertently insert an idea into the text that is just not there. Right? So oftentimes... Uh, when we read this, when we read, oh, well, the law, 
because we are, most of us here anyways, did not grow up in, in Judaism or anything like that, we insert morality or as maybe natural law of, of natural right and wrong um, that exists in, you know, in our conscience and all these sorts of things. But really when Paul says the law, what he's talking about is the Torah. He's talking about the first five bo books of the Bible. He's talking about uh, the, the Jewish scriptures where God gave his edicts and decrees and his commands. Um, and the works of the law, the works of the law he's referring to are the things that you do to actually be faithful to that way of life, to actually be obedient to the teaching of the Torah, and to actually live as a faithful Jewish person, which includes all the, the holy days and the festivals and the abstaining from certain foods and the making sure that your children, that, that your sons are circumcised on the eighth day, and all these sorts of things. And so when he says the law and the works of the law, he means the Torah and the living out a faithful commitment to Jewish life that is informed by Torah and not merely a sense of morality and good works versus not good works. Um, <clears throat> which leads us to the final key idea we want to remind ourselves uh, of here is the idea of justification or, justif or being justified, which is essentially a, a, a legal term that is, basically means that you are in right standing legally with God that you have been justified and you are now in right legal standing with God. There is now no longer a case to be prosecuted against you. There is no longer any uh, legal claim against you because for whatever reason, something has happened now where you have gone from being not in right standing with God to being in right standing with God. And this is very important to our discussion here this morning because what we're going to have here is a challenge of ideas. There's a challenge of ideas. The Jewish mindset, the Jewish mindset at that time, what Paul is combating is that the reason, the way in which we are justified um, or achieve justification is by being faithful to Torah practice, by being a faithful covenant Jew, and by practicing those things, that's how we know that we are righteous, and that's how we know we are actually on, in God's good books and we are justified. And what Paul is trying to get at is that, no, the works of the law, namely being circumcised, abstaining from foods, observing holy days, and all this sort of thing, was never able to justify you before God. It is a free act of grace. And so we just want those things in the forefront of our minds as we, as we move forward in our text. And so... <clears throat> Why did Paul abandon works of the law in favor of Jesus Christ? Why did Paul abandon works of the law in favor of Jesus Christ? And remember what we know about Paul so far in his story, that he was very zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. Very zealous for the traditions of his, uh, of his ancestors. By his own admission in the book of Philippians, he says that he was blameless when it came to following the law. Right? <clears throat> blameless. Now, that's going to be an interesting claim, when we're going to go to Romans in a second, we're going to see what he actually claims about humanity and their state uh, of sinfulness. He says, but, but his own admission, he's blameless when it comes to um, following the law. And yet, Paul, and he, uh, yet because Paul, and he includes Peter in this as well, in, in, in this discussion, now understands that no one will be justified before God by works of the law, um, there's a change. 
there's a change that actually takes place. Paul explains this, uh, how this Jew and Gentile divide that existed before has, uh, has essentially been made nothing in light of Jesus Christ, in light of what God has actually done. So that's why he says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Remember, I think he's actually still speaking, he's recounting this, this tale, this story about him and Peter, about how Peter was, was fine eating with Gentiles, right? Remember, you weren't supposed to do that as a good faithful Jew. They're unclean, they're sinners, and they'll make you unclean, and they'll make you a sinner if you share food around a table with them, right? Peter was fine doing that for a good long while, it seems, until these people came from Jerusalem. We find out um, in the book of Acts that they were actually unauthorized, but they come from Jerusalem and they start saying, hey, 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 Peter, what are you doing? You, 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 need to be, you need to be a faithful Jew and you need to teach the other people to be faithful Jews as well. And so you need to abstain from eating with these Gentiles. And Peter's like, actually, yeah, you're right. And so he withdraws and he goes back to his old way of living. When Paul sees this, he's incensed and he feels the need to confront this in front of everybody and tells the story. He says, look, look, Peter, you and I, we're Jews by birth and we're not like these Gentile sinners, but even you and I know even you and I know that no one's actually getting justified by not eating at the same table as, as Gentile sinners. Like, like we know that. We've been faithful Jews since birth, and we know that no one is getting justified by works of the law. That's why even we, good faithful Jews, have embraced Jesus Christ as the Messiah. That's why we have embraced him as the Savior. <clears throat> And so Paul explains how this uh, Jew-Gentile divide um, has been made essentially nothing. And so I actually want you to turn over to Romans chapter 3 real quick. And I'm, I'm going to read uh, this passage from Romans chapter 3. Because in the book of Romans, Paul is dealing with a, a different but very similar issue uh, in the Roman church. Uh, where he's actually trying to get the Roman church to, to come together and to no longer be divided uh, over, over the Jew-Gentile divide as well. <clears throat> and he actually unpacks this idea a little bit more. So when he says, you know, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ because we know that no one's getting justified by works of the law, here's what he says in, in Romans chapter 3, um, starting at verse 9. He says, what then? Are we any, any better off? Speaking to the Jews at this point in Romans. Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I'm just going to pause here real quick. If you're a Jew, you realize he's actually quoting the Old Testament at this point, right? He's quoting the law to the Jews at this point. Now, they may be sitting there thinking, going, and they're hearing all these things like, yeah, yeah, we know. We know the Gentiles are like that, right? We know they're like that. That's why we don't want to eat with them, because we know that they're awful people. We know that they're awful like that. We know that they're sinners, and that's why we've kept our distance. The poll continues. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are 
subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified by works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. You see, Paul found in Jesus this revelation, this revelation that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the law. This is what Jesus says about himself in the Sermon on the Mount. When he begins his ministry, he says, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. I have come to fulfill it. Instead, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is what the whole story of Scripture was pointing to for the salvation of not only the Jews, but for all peoples. He is the crushing, he is the snake crusher. He is the Passover lamb. He is the one slain for the atonement of all God's people. He is the kinsman redeemer. He is the one who is the receiver of the promise of Abraham through which all nations will be blessed. He is the rock from which living waters would flow. He is the great high priest over Israel and the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. And this, it's this revelation. It's this revelation in the first century is that that Jewish carpenter turned rabbi turned crucified criminal, was in fact the Son of God. And that on that cross, as he died the most ignoble death that could be died, as he was cut off from not only his own people, but all peoples by that uh, horrific crucifixion there on the cross, that the revelation that people received is that this was not just some mere criminal, but that this was the Son of God. This is one who had never done anything wrong. And then that death he died on that cross was actually salvation for us. It was actually salvation for us. And what happened in this this moment, what happened in this moment for Peter and for Paul and for all the apostles and all those who had come to know and follow Jesus Christ and declare him as Lord, it radically changed the way they viewed what faithfulness to God actually looked like. It radically changed what faithfulness to God actually looked like. And so for Paul, the reason why he's incensed is because he's seeing Peter and all the other Jews, Barnabas included, going back and rebuilding rebuilding those things which Jesus Christ had done away with through the cross. This is why he's so upset. Because if righteousness, this is what he'll finish uh, down in verse 21, he says, because if righteousness came through the law... And Jesus Christ died for nothing. And so when we act in such a way as to go back to our old way of living, we're saying that Jesus Christ died for nothing. And Paul answers this objection then, right? Because remember, he's speaking to this this Jewish audience at this point. He says this. He says, but if we are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Well, absolutely not. So the question we have then, if, if the works of the law don't matter, does that mean Jesus is a promoter of sin? 
And this is why we, it's important we have that category distinction that we gave at the very beginning between Jews, the Jews, and Gentile sinners. Right? <clears throat> Paul is not addressing, Paul is not addressing, I believe, the reality of Christians who come to Christ and then still struggle with sin or have a sin that it takes them some time to overcome or to be free from in their lives. That's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, the reason why I need to say this is because so many commentators I read couched this verse in 16th century Reformation medieval understandings of justice and sin that they think that this is what Paul is talking about. But he's not talking about that at all. What he's saying is that if we, as we are seeking to be justified by Jesus Christ, end up living like Gentiles, which means we don't make a distinction between Jew and Gentile anymore. You know, Paul, Paul's just like, you know, he can, he can eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. He just, he says a prayer. He blesses it. He can go to people's houses. And he just is like, you know what? I'm not even going to ask where the meat comes from. I'm just, like I said, I'm just going to bless it and go. Because I know that I'm not justified by works of the law. I know that I'm not justified by keeping myself separated from, from the people of the world. He knows, he knows that he knows that he knows that Jesus Christ is his only means of justification. And so he's answering this objection. These Jews are going to be raising. Well, if Jesus Christ, if, if we're not justified by works of the law, so that, is it fine then for us to just go and be living in sin? Right? And what they mean is living like Gentiles. Because those two things are synonymous. Right? <clears throat> What Paul is talking about is, is saying, just because we're living like Gentiles, does that make Jesus a promoter of sin? Does that make him a promoter of sin? And he says, absolutely not. He says, only if I rebuild that old way of life do I demonstrate myself to be a lawbreaker. You know, as I was preparing this, I find myself getting frustrated with Paul. Because I wish, rather than Paul writing this letter the way that he did, and look, it's, it's inspired scripture, okay? But <clears throat> sometimes I wish Paul had just prepared a lecture series, um, moving from the most foundational concepts of what the law is and his understanding of how it works and all these sorts of things, moving, to, moving through and, and doing things in a logical progression. Because what happens is I keep wanting to reach forward into the letter to pull ideas back to make sense of, of what he's already said. It's like, Paul, you haven't explained that principle first. He's going to explain it in two chapters' time, but he hasn't explained it yet for us. And so sometimes I find myself getting frustrated with Paul that he did not write the letter for me, um, that, he, <laughs> that he had a whole other audience in mind who probably had a much better understanding of things than I do. But, um, but what he says is this. To this objection that Jesus... Jesus, well, if being justified by Jesus, we find ourselves living like Gentile sinners. Does that make Jesus a promoter of sin? He says, absolutely not. And he adds this, this clause. He says, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. <clears throat> what he's basically saying about Peter is this. He's like, look, we've, and, and again, he's going to get to this, but he hasn't gotten to it yet. If Jesus Christ is the end of the law, he is the fulfillment of the law. So much so that we are no longer bound by the statutes and the ordinances of the law because of what Jesus Christ has done. No, we are not 
sinners because we don't follow those statutes and ordinances anymore. We only become sinners if we then go to try and rebuild those statutes and ordinances as the way and means that we're actually going to be justified. Now, Paul, in the future of this letter, will say, don't you know that everybody who is under the law is under a curse? Because the law says, the law says anybody who doesn't do everything in the law is guilty of it, and they are under that curse. And so Paul is saying to Peter and to the Galatians, look, no, it's, you're not a sinner. You're not in sin if you're not following Jewish law and custom. You're only in sin if you then turn back, uphold that as the standard for your justification, because guess what? You've broken it all. You've broken it all. And, and what really smarts Paul at this point is that Peter had done just that. Peter had done just that. He had gone and he was living like a Gentile for a time because he had this revelation of Jesus Christ and now was going back and acting like he was rebuilding the law again. And this is what uh, Paul is confronting. Now, <clears throat> now that's his context. That's what he's dealing with, is these Jews concerned about living like Gentiles and, and thinking that perhaps they were sinners. But I do feel like we need to make an application out of this particular text um, because we do live in the 21st century, and there are people who will use the grace of God as a license to sin. Um, and let me just tell you right now, if that is your mindset, that because God is gracious and because he, comes, he offers you salvation freely by His grace. There is nothing you can do to earn it. It is given to you freely. Sometimes what people will do is they will take that information and they say, well, then I can go and I can live however I want. After all, I, I, I'm not, I can't earn my salvation because it's freely given. So I'll receive that salvation and then I'll go and keep on sinning, or I'll go and keep on living however I want. I'm going to live in rebellion to God and all these sorts of things. And I just want to say to you, if that is your mentality, that you have not received salvation. Because that is not the salvation that we have received. God's graciousness is not a license to sin. God's graciousness is that you have been sinning, and He, by His grace, is come to not only forgive you of your sin, to wash you clean of your sin, but then to transform you into the image of His Son. You have been freed from sin to Him. You've been freed from sin to Him, which leads us to our next point. Because Paul will go on and say this very confusing statement. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. <clears throat> what does he mean by that? What does he mean by through the law, I died to the law? To explain this, we need to go over to Romans chapter 7. Paul is addressing the same issue here in Romans chapter 7. And he says this, starting at verse 1, he says, 
Since I'm speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then, if she marries to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you were also, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may know so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Here's what Paul's essentially trying to say, I think, both here in Romans 7 and in Galatians when he says, through the law, I died to the law, is that for those who were born as covenant faithful Jews, they were born under the law. Now that law was not something that could simply be just disregarded. It could not simply be just set aside. They could not just simply be freed from it willy-nilly or anything like that. They were bound by covenant to that way of living, and they were bound by covenant to that law. But, but Paul says there is actually a way out of that covenant. There is actually a way out of the binding nature of that law and what it has on your life. All you've got to do is die. Simple, right? All you've got to do is die. And Paul says this is what has happened. This is what has happened, is in Jesus Christ, when we come into union with Jesus Christ, we come in identification with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And in a sense, in a real way, by union with Christ, we have also now died. And having died, we are now freed and released from the law. We, are now, we have now died and we are now free and released from the law and its obligations because we have died and have been made new. So that, as Paul would say, you can belong to another. You can belong to another. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Which brings me to my last point. Have you been crucified with Christ? Have you been crucified with Christ? Paul wants us to understand, wants his, his, his Galatian audience to understand that he has died with Christ. The reason why he is not bound by Jewish law, the reason why he is not bound by the customs and the practices of that any longer is because he has died with Christ. He has died with Christ. And it can be challenging to bring this kind of thinking into our modern context. Since most of us here, from best I understood, have not grown up under Jewish law. 
Most of us did not grow up living under Torah. Most of us didn't grow up in that culture, in that setting. But the question still remains. Just as those Jews were freed from the law, the law that only taught them what sin was, but had no power to give them life. They've now been freed from that and have been able to die with Christ and have been renewed in Christ and are now free to live by the Spirit. What about you? Have you died to your old way of life? Have you died to your old way of life? Has the old way of life become dead to you? Has dead religion gone from your life? You know, while many people here probably didn't grow up under Jewish law, some of you may have grown up with very strong religious, maybe a strong religious household, or you came from a very uh, strong religious tradition that placed a lot of emphasis on works and practices and all these sorts of things as the sign that you were actually in good standing with God. And, and remember, I, I think there are a lot of really good Christian practices that you should do because they help cultivate your relationship with the Lord, but they are not the means and they are not the grounds of your justification. They are not the, 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 the foundation for you being in right standing with God. But perhaps you grew up in a religious household where that was the case. Or perhaps you came even into church with the understanding that that was the case, that I need to do X, Y, Z in order for God to to be okay with me. Has that way of thinking died to you? Is the world and its ways crucified to you here this morning? Are you actually free to serve God? You ask yourself these, these sorts of questions. Am I actually free to serve God? If God called me tomorrow to give everything up, and to go sow my life into some foreign land. What are the immediate things that come to your mind that might be a hindrance to that? What are the things that immediately come to mind? They're like, oh, Lord, I'm so glad you're definitely not calling me to do that because I really enjoy this or I would really miss that. Or, you know, God... I, I feel like I wouldn't be able to fulfill every, all of my dreams if you were to send me over there to do this. We all have little idols that either never left when, when, when we came to faith, they just sort of stayed there hiding, or, or for one reason or another, we've slowly erected in our hearts over time. You know, even as a pastor, there, there's, there is ministry ambition. You know I, know, I know we're all supposed to be the, like the examples of how to actually live the Christian life. But there's a tremendous amount of pressure to be successful as a pastor. Like, a lot. And I wrestle with it. A lot. <laughs> and it's something that I honestly wish I could say here this morning. Is, I wish I could say that that is fully crucified in my heart. But I know it's not. I wrestle with it all the time. But are you crucified with Christ? Have you died to the old way of life and do you belong to him? 
Do you belong to him? Let the Holy Spirit just search your heart here this morning. Do you belong to him? Is your heart his? I'm going to invite the worship team back. love for you to stand as well if you're able. I'll just say one last thing because I, uh, I recognize that there's, you know, a room of human beings here. <clears throat> I just want to draw a distinction for your heart as well, that there's a difference between, there's a difference between you still wrestling against a sin and you still fighting against sin that, that crops up in your life and actually going and rebuilding an old life. Does that distinction make sense? Because I, I, what I don't want to happen, what I don't want to happen is those sins you've been struggling with and you've been warring against and you've been fighting against, what I don't want to happen is for those to immediately crop up in your mind and along with it comes shame, guilt, and condemnation. But there, there's a difference between warring against sin and actually going and rebuilding like is in like where the loyalty of your heart has shifted away from Jesus and you've actually gone back and you're actually rebuilding those things which Jesus tore down in your life. There's a difference between the two and I hope you understand that. In Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And so I don't want you to walk out of here with uh, a great sense of uh, shame or guilt or anything like that if you have been warring against your sin. But I do want to highlight the fact that so oftentimes when people's hearts grow cold, they decide to return to Egypt. They decide to return to their place of slavery. They, they remember, oh, well, wasn't it nice when back then before, beforehand, you know, at least, you know, I had good food in Egypt or, or at least, you know, it was a hard life, but at least we had certain comforts. We, we have this tendency to look back at our life beforehand with these rose-colored glasses and remember everything that was good about our life before we came to Christ and remember none of the slavery, none of the toil, none of the hardship. I want you to be free here this morning, free to serve God, free to be with Him without distraction. Lord, Oh, Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that anything that was just from me, God, and wasn't from you would just fall to the ground. I pray you continue to turn our eyes on Jesus. Continue to be at work in our hearts. Continue to, to crush idols that have erected themselves in our hearts, God. Continue to liberate us from sin. Lord, may we never go back. May we never turn back. May we never go back to the old ways and rebuild those things which you have torn down by your blood. We thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for your grace and your goodness and your power. We bless your wonderful name.